I want to talk with you tonight about something that is essential to your salvation, something absolutely necessary. You must do this if you want to be saved. What do you suspect that I might be talking about? Well, there's a number of things that could come to mind. Obviously, you have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you have to repent of your sins. You have to confess your faith. You have to be baptized for the remission of sins. All those things are necessary for salvation. I don't have any of those things particularly in mind tonight, although those things are obviously true. Tonight, I want to talk to you about forgiveness. And this is a thing essential to your salvation. In the text that Caleb read for us just a moment ago, Jesus, when he was teaching the model prayer, said in Matthew 6, beginning verse 14, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Obviously, Jesus places this then in the realm of absolutely essential things. Willingness to forgive, being people who forgive, is an absolutely critical, necessary thing. So we want to talk about that tonight. I was asked recently to review this subject. And so uh, I've taught before on this and I, about, I don't know, I only know so many ways to say the same thing over and over again. So I'm going to be saying some of the exact same things that we've talked about before. But it is a critically important subject. And I actually think, and I've said this to you before, that I believe forgiveness is a more complex subject then we often give it credit for being. It's, it, it, is, it is not just, uh, you know, a drop dead, fall off the log, easy topic. It, there's more to it, and it's more involved. And, and we want to try to look at some of those ins and outs in our study tonight. But we start out with this understanding. It is absolutely necessary. We must forgive. If we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. Stop here just briefly to thank you for coming back on Sunday night. It's always a blessing to be together. Sunday night to me is special. It's a good way to end the Lord's Day. We have the chance to worship together again, and we're grateful for that opportunity. We're thankful for our visitors that we have tonight. We hope you'll come again whenever you have a chance to be here. All right, what about forgiveness? I want to suggest to you, first of all, that there is a sense, there is one sense in which we ought to be willing, in fact, we should, we can and should forgive unilaterally. When I say unilaterally, I mean, I just do it. I just extend forgiveness. Uh, Nothing has to be done. No one has to approach me. Nothing has to be said. No conditions have to be met. I should be willing. There's a sense concerning some matters that I ought to be willing to forgive unilaterally. in, in these instances, though, we're talking about a situation when sin is not involved. When sin is not involved, then I should just forgive and forget about it and not even worry about that. Um, we could think of some examples. Maybe, maybe I feel someone has slighted me in some way or another. Uh, um, maybe, for instance, I found out that there were some people and they had a party and they didn't invite me. And it kind of hurt my feelings when I found out that that happened. I felt maybe a little bit of a slight had occurred. That's no sin. There's no sin involved in that. And I could and should just let that go. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about here, that when no sin is involved, then just forgive unilaterally. Just drop it. Let it go. 
give you an example uh, from a, a parable that Jesus taught. In Luke chapter 7, beginning verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? So Jesus was teaching a principle here. But notice, the word forgive is mentioned here. The, the creditor forgave those who owed him money. One owed him 500 pence, the other owed him only 50. They didn't have anything to pay, and he forgave them both. Well, now what about this situation? It's not a sin to incur debt, right? Uh, I suppose there could be ways that you could incur death in, debt in a sinful way, but typically speaking, just because you owe someone something, owe them some money, you have a debt to pay, there's no sin involved in that. And in this case, the creditor forgave them both. Uh, they didn't have to do anything. They didn't put any conditions upon them. Uh, but there was no sin involved. And the emphasis here is just on the fact that when they were forgiven, the one who was forgiven more would have greater appreciation for the one who forgave the debt. But I just use that as an example of the first point. Uh, So when we're talking about that sort of a thing, we can talk about unilateral, unconditional forgiveness. And we should do that. We can and should do that sort of thing. Now, the principal thing we want to discuss tonight, though, is when sin is involved... We are to forgive just like God forgives. So now, again, here's, here's the distinction. This is a wholly different situation. We're talking about a matter where sin is involved. And we are to forgive. We're commanded to forgive, but we're to forgive like God forgives. Notice, he, we're told to do that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Notice, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So I'm to forgive others. So that, notice, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you. So there's the model. That tells us what we should be looking for. In fact, the very next verse, this is, there's a chapter break here, but this is the very next verse. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. So imitate God. We should try to be imitators of God in all matters, but, but here particularly the context is of forgiving. Forgive just like God forgives. Imitate God in these things. Okay, so there's your pattern. There's your model. That's what you should use as, as the example that you imitate. Forgive like God forgives. All right. I don't think that that statement could be any clearer or plainer. So how does he forgive? Well, first of all, God is willing to forgive. And in, in all of these points, and you've seen this chart before, but in all these points, I'm going to add this little expression right here. God does, and we should also do certain things about forgiveness. And the first point that we want to stress is that God is willing to forgive. He wants to forgive. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants to forgive us. He's very desirous of forgiving us. In Psalm chapter 86, verse 5, 
For, for Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon Thee. And so our first point is a really important one. You know, uh, can you imagine we have sinned against the Almighty God of heaven and He's just going to smash us like a bug. He doesn't care. You cross the line one time and He'd love to just wipe you out. No, that's not the God we serve. God wants to. He's willing to forgive us. And we should be that way also. Secondly... I would point out that he is even aggressive in the matter of forgiveness. And when I use this expression, aggressive to forgive, you could say that a lot of different ways. You might say that uh, he um, goes the extra mile. He goes more than should even be expected in extending forgiveness to us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. I think that's really an important verse. Notice, when the, when the plan was put in place and when Jesus died on the cross for us, it wasn't because we were already so wonderful. It was because we were in desperate need. And God sent His only begotten Son in order to accomplish that we might be forgiven. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't have to do that, but He did that. That's, that's what I mean when He was aggressive in pursuing forgiveness and making forgiveness possible to us. Jesus taught that we're supposed to be that way also. You remember in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go, tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Notice, in this scenario, my brother has trespassed against me. What do I do? I go to him. I tell him his fault. And so... I don't just let it pass. I don't ignore it. I don't say, well, I won't, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to deal with it, but I'm not going to get over it either. No, I, I aggressively pursue reconciliation. And so that's the way God is. He's, he wants to forgive us, and He has gone the extra mile to make forgiveness possible to us. But here's a really important part of the way that God forgives. Now, Don't forget, what we're saying here is we're to forgive others just as God forgives us. We're to imitate God. We're to do like He does. God forgives conditionally. I don't think anybody here would argue that point that God forgives us based upon conditions. We know the conditions. John 8, verse 24. If ye believe not that I am Him, ye shall die in your sins. You've got to believe. If you don't believe, you're going to be lost. You've got to meet that condition. You've got to believe in Jesus. Luke 13, 3, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We've got to repent. If we don't repent, we can't be forgiven. Romans 10, verse 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. You know, these words express conditionality, don't they? These tell us things we must do to, to reach that objective. If, our, if the objective we desire to reach with God is to be in a forgiven state with Him, then we have to meet these conditions. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, this is, this is basically the plan of salvation, right? But it's all conditions that we must meet if we want to be forgiven of our past sins. So how does God forgive the alien sinner, the person who's never been a Christian before? How does God forgive such a person? Well, he's willing, he's desirous, and he's gone 
to an extreme measure to make our salvation possible. But he still says, there's some things you've got to do. You've got to believe and repent, confess, and be baptized. Those are conditions. God forgives based upon us meeting the conditions set forth. For those of us who are already Christians, we know that there's still conditions to be met when we further sin after becoming Christians. Acts 8, verse 22, Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. We remember, of course, this was the the statement of the apostle Peter to Simon the sorcerer, a new Christian who had sinned, but he placed upon him that he must repent and pray. That's, as we have said before, the so-called second law of pardon. For those of us who are already Christians, this is what we must do. All right. So again, God's willing, and he has gone the extra mile to make our salvation possible, but His forgiveness to us is conditional, only when we meet the conditions. You know, we could illustrate this with the case of Jesus Himself on the cross of Calvary. In Luke chapter 23, verse 33, when they were come to the place which is called Calgary, Calvary, there they crucified Him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. So concerning the men who were crucified, crucifying Jesus, Jesus prayed that they might be forgiven. That's great. That's wonderful. An amazing attitude that Jesus possessed in the very moment in which he was being tortured to death. He prayed that God would forgive them. How did that forgiveness take place? Was it unconditional? Just because Jesus asked it? There was a blanket forgiveness extended to all those who were involved in causing His horrible, agonizing... No. We know that's not the case, right? We know that those very people had to meet the conditions set forth when the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Notice, Peter references that very sin, the crucifixion of God's own Son. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter, to the rest of the uh, apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And, and Peter said, You don't have to do anything because Jesus gave a unconditional forgiveness to you when he was hanging on the cross. No. Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, you see the pattern here? The forgiveness of sin by God is when we meet the conditions that have been placed on us by God. And so our point here is that God forgives conditionally. And we're told to do the same. This is a really important verse. We reference it pretty often. Luke 17, verse 3. You need to remember that verse. The New American Standard Version says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. All right. Again, sins involved here. This is not just one of those non-sinful things. This is not just, oh, he hurt my feelings. There's no sin involved in hurting someone's feelings. It's probably bad form, but it's not a sin. This is not that kind of condition. This is sin. Your brother sins. You rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. There's that word, right? There's that word that expresses conditionality. And the clear implication is, if he doesn't repent, I can't forgive him. 
if he repents, I forgive him. If he doesn't repent, you know, I think we could even put it this way. There's no authority to forgive someone who will not repent. Would that be a fair statement? Now, I want to. We already said that. I'm willing. I'm anxious to forgive him. I even go to him. Remember, Matthew 18 says, go to him if he sins against you. I even go to him. I go that extra mile trying to reconcile the matter. But this verse says that I can forgive him only if he repents of the sin that he has committed. If he repents, forgive him. Uh, that's a really important verse that pertains to this discussion. And I think it's an often overlooked concept relative to this whole subject of forgiveness. So again, really importantly, God forgives conditionally, and I believe that we are taught to do the same thing. But don't forget, that is preceded by willing to forgive, aggressive to forgive, but necessarily waiting for the proper conditions to be met in order to extend that forgiveness. God forgives absolutely. Uh, You know, too often when someone sins against us, we never really get over it. It's it's always an issue. It's, It's like an open wound that never heals sometimes between people when one has sinned against another. And and you may have, as I have heard, you you might hear someone say, I'll never forget what he did to me. Well, you better not feel that way. In fact, if he meets the conditions of forgiveness, you need to do as God does and forgive absolutely. In Psalm 103, beginning verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That last expression is really keen, isn't it? As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? It's infinite, right? Uh, You can't measure that distance. As far as the east is from the west, so hath he removed our transgressions from us. And so... Uh, that's the idea of, of absolute forgiveness. And God absolutely forgives. And, and it's, it's not like it's an open, festering wound with, between me and God. God has forgiven. He has absolutely forgiven when I meet His terms of forgiveness. That's a hard thing. And we might compound that fact that sometimes this is also a problem. He forgives permanently. Sort of, sort of building on the previous point, you know, sometimes what we want to do is sort of keep this problem. Uh, you've sinned against me, and so I, I'm going to kind of keep this in the back of my mind. And I'll tell you, if, if, if there's ever any friction between you and me again, I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring this matter up again because I've never really gotten over it, you know. And so I failed in this point of absolute forgiveness and I failed to imitate God in the fact that God permanently forgives. He's not going to bring that back up. If we've met His terms for forgiveness, He's never going to bring that up to us again. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Hebrew writer, beginning verse 16, actually quotes Jeremiah. So the prophet Jeremiah was making a prophecy about the last times. In chapter 31, verses 33 and 34 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was actually prophesying about our time. Okay? And this is what he said. 
This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. The idea of remembering them no more is that he's never going to bring that up again. Once we've met his conditions for forgiveness, it's a done deal. And it's never going to be a problem again, those sins that have been forgiven. We sometimes use the expression, forgive and forget. Which I don't think is really probably a a great expression to use because, you know, there's some sense in which we can't always forget what's happened. We can forgive, maybe we're not able to forget. Uh, I, I don't think that God, in other words, I sinned against God, I met his terms of forgiveness. Now God can't even remember it. He doesn't even recall it. Well, that would sort of mitigate against the idea that God is all-knowing. The idea here of remember no more is the idea of not calling it back, not calling it back to be dealt with again. God forgives permanently, and so should we. And then you got to add the fact that God forgives again and again and again, and so should we. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle John was writing to those who were already Christians. So he's not talking to someone who's never been a Christian yet. He's talking to those who are already Christians, and he includes himself. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice there's that word again. If we, John says, if we, including me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've already been forgiven, right, in the past. And so John's talking about forgiveness that happens again for Christians when they sin. God's already forgiven us. In fact, God has forgiven us again and again and again. And yet this promise still stands. He's still willing to forgive us. He'll forgive us whenever we come to him seeking his forgiveness. And we need to be the same way. You remember, of course, what Peter said in Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse 21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I think we have pointed out before that Peter probably thought he was being pretty generous here. Uh, I'll forgive this guy seven times for doing this to me. And Jesus said to him, I might say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And obviously we, we conclude from that that Jesus said it should be endless. This would be seven times, 70 times 7 would be 490, right? But Jesus wasn't even saying count. And if you could get, if you get up as high as 490, then you can quit. He wasn't saying that. He was just, he was playing upon Peter's words and saying there's no end to the, the forgiving that you ought to do. God forgives us again and again and again. And, and we should do the same. All right. So here's, Here's the main points that we want to make. When sin is involved, we forgive just like God forgives us. Okay? That's what Ephesians 4 verse 32 says. Forgive one another just like God forgives us. What do we know about how God forgives us? He's willing, desirous to forgive. He's aggressive. He seeks the, the, the opportunity to forgive us. But He forgives conditionally. But when he has forgiven, it's absolute and it's permanent. And it happens again and again and again whenever we come to him seeking forgiveness. Now, having made those points, I think it's absolutely necessary for us to stress this. 
grudge holding and bitterness is never right. Sometimes when we make this point right here in particular, when we say that there, there, there are conditions that must be met before forgiveness can be extended, if your brother repents, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and when we make that point that God forgives conditionally and we should too, uh, the, the, some people say, oh, well, you're, that, you're just holding a grudge. Uh, you're acting out of bitterness. If you, won't forgive, if you won't forgive unilaterally and unconditionally, you're just holding a grudge and, and you're guilty of the sin of bitterness. Please, please get this. We understand completely that grudge holding and bitterness is never right. In James chapter 5 verse 9, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Grudge holding is a sin. We know that. We're not holding a grudge. Those things are not linked. Okay? The fact that a brother has sinned and he refuses to repent... And therefore I am not authorized to forgive him does not mean that I'm holding a grudge against him. I still am desirous of his forgiveness. I'm still going to go out of my way to try and reconcile with that brother. But he's got to meet conditions. I'm not authorized to forgive him until he meets those conditions. If he repents, forgive him. Luke 13, 3. So I'm not holding a grudge against him. In fact, I'm doing just the opposite. I'm going to go to whatever extreme I can to provoke him to repent. And bitterness. We know bitterness is a sin. Let Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness is wrong. And, and I, I don't think it's fair to say just because we're waiting for someone to repent before we can forgive them, I don't think it's fair to say that therefore we are necessarily guilty of the sin of bitterness. I I do not believe that's true. And those are a couple of misunderstandings and misapplications, I think, that sometimes come up. When we're talking about, again, this very difficult subject of forgiveness. Finally, I want to answer a couple of proof texts that are sometimes used to argue for unilateral and unconditional forgiveness. Now, this, as I said, this is really a complicated subject. It's very deep, I believe. But there are, there are a couple of, of arguments made that I just want to address real quickly. One of them is based upon what Jesus said. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, When you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Sometimes that, that concept is, is brought forward. And it's very similar to what we read in Matthew 6 at the start of the lesson uh, when Jesus taught the model prayer. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, those are obviously true statements spoken from the very mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But to apply those statements unconditionally would be to go beyond the text and would also force a contradiction with what else Jesus said on the subject. Right? Jesus also was the one who spoke Luke 17, 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So these, these statements here 
are certainly true, much-needed truths for us, but they are not in contradiction to what else we learn in the Scriptures about the idea of conditional forgiveness when those sin against us. One other sometimes used proof text involves the man Stephen. We often refer to Stephen as the first Christian martyr, at least the first one that we know of who was put to death for being a Christian. And at the end of Acts chapter 7, he was stoned to death. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, voice saying, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen asked, lay not this sin to their charge. That has to immediately call to mind what Jesus said concerning those who were crucifying him, right? But in the case of these people who were stoning Stephen, was Stephen saying, God, just forgive them unconditionally. Just wipe the slate clean, no conditions whatsoever. For all those who are throwing these stones at me, just forgive them without any conditions. But that's not the case. That's not what happened anyway, right? Who was one of, we know by name, one of the people who was involved in this crime of stoning Stephen. Saul of Tarsus, right? Saul was actually in charge, apparently, of the proceedings when they stoned Stephen. How was he forgiven? Unconditionally? Unilaterally? No. We know when he was uh, in Damascus that the man Ananias came to him and said, Now, why tarriest thou? Luke, or Acts twenty two sixteen? why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and... Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You know what one of the sins was that Saul of Tarsus needed forgiveness for? Stoning Stephen. He needed to be forgiven. Was it, so was it unconditional? Stephen, Stephen was desirous that these people could be forgiven. But don't, don't jump to the conclusion that therefore they were thus unilaterally forgiven. Because we know specifically that Saul of Tarsus was told. Repent and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Okay, so we got a tough subject here. I, and I, I, really, I, I really believe it is a difficult subject. Uh, it's sometimes misunderstood. And very often we hear people who talk about just forgiven, just forgive and forget. Wipe the sake clean. Unilateral forgiveness is often suggested by a lot of our own brethren. But I really don't believe that that notion lines up with what the Bible tells us to do, again, when sin is involved. When, in, when sin is involved, we have the perfect pattern set for us. Forgive one another just as God has forgiven us. That's what we're supposed to do. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say and hope that it's helpful, again, by way of review of a topic that we have studied before but a necessary and really important one. Our salvation depends on doing this right. And so I don't see how you can say that's, that's not really a big deal. It's a very big deal. And our soul's salvation depends on doing it correctly. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Are you right with God? Has God forgiven you? If not, then you need to take the steps in order to be forgiven. The conditional steps that God places upon us. As we said earlier, for the alien sinner, it's the plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. We'd be glad to assist in your obedience tonight. If you're a Christian already, the condition for those who are already Christians in sin is repent and pray. And if you need us to pray with you and for you tonight, we'd be glad to do that. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing.